Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. For more info on my guitars, please visit LiggettGuitars.com. If you like the podcast, toss me a dollar on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Luthier's Tale. Every week, I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. Today I'm talking to Omer Deutsch, a high-end electric guitar builder from Israel and owner of OD Guitars. Omer makes some of the world's most striking guitars for the heavier side of the music scene. His designs stand out for their originality, and you can tell just from images of his guitars that he makes incredibly fine instruments. Please visit od-guitars.com to visit Omer's work. Let's get into it. Man, thank you, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, how's your day been going so far? Did you get done working in the shop today? Yeah, just now. I've been running. <laughs> yeah, like a marathon. What have you been working on today? Uh, finishing about four guitars. Oh, nice. Yeah. Spring say... finish. No, it's uh, when I say for me finishing. Guitars is uh, the moment I glue the neck to the body. Okay. And then from then to to the finished product, it's about one week or two. So. Okay. So yeah, I, I, uh, I announced finished <laughs> when I glued the neck to the body. Oh, okay. See, I, I either think finished is uh, the guitar's done, or I'm putting finish on the guitar. Yeah. Uh, Omer, a- am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you are the owner of OD Guitars. That's right. Um, and that stands for your name, Omer Deutsch. That's right. Um, it, and you make some really cool, um, aggressive-looking, yet elegant-looking, uh, like, heavy metal guitars. Am I, yeah. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Thank you. <laughs> what do you find... Your what what are your customers looking for in your guitars? You think? Oh, that's a that's a question that I keep I keep asking myself over the years, and it uh, it always evolves because when you start, you have this imagination that the customer, the typical customer, is uh, uh, this and that age and uh, has uh, I don't know uh, a CD of. Uh, and Tesseract and uh, bands like that, uh, all sorts of uh, you know music genre and uh, in a certain age and everything. And then over the years, you discover all sorts of weird stuff on your customers, <laughs> and it keeps changing and evolving. So I guess uh, my customer usually, my average customer would usually uh, look for the. I think the experience that we go through when building a custom guitar because it ranges between um, the customers just that are looking for the aggressive metal guitar and the customers that I really that are really drawn to my designs and has some emotional uh, um, effect on them I guess and yeah yeah and usually the whole process is. Uh, revolving around uh, giving me the artistic freedom to do something that uh, speaks to them and and really means something to them. So it can be a special inlay or 
even uh, engraving on the back or sometimes people ask me to uh um how do you say um memorize no uh memorial like a memorial oh, for yeah, yeah. someone they lost or you know all sorts of stuff like that so that's really cool that makes it very personal for him i think for me that's the best experience uh i have from this uh, awesome work because um Back in the days, I used to be an industrial designer, and uh, when you're designing a product, then you're designing it for a company. And once you finish it, it goes out of your hands, and you have no idea what's what next. And some of the products you can be proud of, and some of them, most of them, you you'll never see again, or you'll never, no one will ever know that you did it. And with yeah. guitar, it's different because. You know, we get the opportunity to really connect with people overseas, and I guess you know what I'm what I'm talking about because you experienced the same uh, with your guitars, probably. Yeah. And yeah, we we really like make making friends. It's a whole huge family. Once once a customer uh, places an order, it's not just you know buying off the shelf, just ordering a guitar and then uh, twelve months later. You get a guitar and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really a cool experience. You know, you, you're like uh, you're like doing a creative project in coordination with someone in a way. Mm -hmm. Like they're giving you the freedom to do your thing, but also you're incorporating things that make it special and unique to them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, where would you say? Where's most of your customers? Where are they from? Uh, mostly from the U.S. And we have about 95% uh, overseas and 5% local, maybe even less. For, for uh, people that don't know, Omer is based in Israel. Yeah. I um, mean, some, some know and some doesn't, some don't. And to be honest, I don't really care because uh, and that's why I, I usually do not... Uh, um, advertise or, or uh, extremely proud of where I am coming from. It's just uh, I don't care where, where you are. As long yeah. As you so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, the local uh, customers, Israelis, is about two to three uh, people a year, not more. And uh, everyone else, just from the US, some of uh, some from Europe. I got Japan. China, uh, Korea, what else? So you, so you, you don't find the distance to uh, um, limit your customers. They're they're willing to um, they're willing to uh, buy something and have it shipped to them no matter where they are. Yeah, right. That's great. Uh, I mean, that's one of the, uh, the another thing that I really like about this business. You know, fifteen, twenty years ago, who would have thought that? You can order someone something from owner from Israel online and, and get it, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, once it ships out, of course. And for me, it's it's like it's amazing because a customer can get the guitar and then the other day, uh, the next day, send me a video of how he uh, impressed and happy about it and uh, some. Someone from uh, Japan even once told me, "Oh, D, I love you, man. 
thanks for this guitar. It's amazing. And, you know, yeah. it's coming from the other side of the pond. And <laughs> that's quite amazing. Yeah, isn't it awesome? Yeah, and it kind of makes the the music um, community a lot smaller feeling. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember, I, I think you and I started following each other on Instagram when I mm-hmm. was just first starting out. I think I might have still been in Roberto Venn, which is the school I went to mm-hmm. um, in, in 2012. And I, I've watched your your following and your account just grow and grow and grow exponentially. Uh, you, you've got a crap ton of followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Is your inbox just insane? <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I figured yeah. it was. It's hard to follow. I mean, uh, I, I I answer everyone all the time, but yeah, it's it's quite. Uh, it's quite amazing and, and overwhelming. It's I think it's totally deserved. You have uh, some very very unique and, uh, Thank you. and gorgeous designs. Um, I really love your um, um, do you, you you call it like geometric? Uh, yeah, natural geometry. Natural geometry. Yeah. Um, so you did one very recently that I saw that was um, it was like your normal vent hole near like the armrest that you usually right. do but yeah. it was it was two layers of your oh geometry. yeah yeah and that really reminded me of um like a classical guitar with those old rosette um yeah that like block the sound hole mm-hmm. that, are, that are real layered and i thought how cool oh yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah yeah and you you have you're making like a modern like the most modern guitar you can possibly make out of wood Mm-hmm. And then there's like, and it's like this echo to the past. And I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. And, and that's actually, uh, to be honest, I never, uh, when I started it, I never uh, explored uh, too many acoustic guitars. So I, I can't say I saw it before. I just saw it afterwards. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. The, the whole natural geometric chambering came from way back when I was a student, I started, uh, uh, I was fascinated by, you know, nature and uh, geometric shape that we can find under the microscope and uh, like order in chaos and all this uh, nonsense. Sure. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was, um, I was trying to uh, combine nature with mathematics and geometry all the time with uh, every design that I've made. And uh, yeah, and eventually I, I implemented it to the guitars. Make, making a guitar feels like chaos almost the entire time to me. Right. And until the end, and you have like this completed thing that you're hopefully happy with. But I feel like the entire process is almost fucking it up. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And exactly, just like, yeah. just not <laughs> going past that point. Right. <laughs> I, I've taught a couple people how to make guitars mm-hmm. and, and they're always just like, I can't believe how easy it is to screw this up. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's really easy. It's a tightrope act the whole yeah. time. So, <laughs> so that's cool that uh, you, you kind of have a, a symbolic version of uh, the chaos and then the, the order, I guess, could be the entire yeah. instrument coming yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. Never thought about that way, but uh, totally. 
Oh, I know what I want to ask you about <laughs> your staining. You have some of the best yeah. sta staining in the biz. Thank I you. Say, uh, real unique stains too. You, uh, you do this thing sometimes where you start with the color very intense in the center, and then it mm -hmm. gets natural towards the edges. Right. Um, that stain, that kind of staining, really scares me. <laughs> Why? Uh, because I feel like the um, the natural edges, I would get stain on those. Oh and yeah, and screw the whole thing up. <laughs> right. It scares the hell of me uh, as well, and I you I still don't think I'm mastering the technique like to the full potential because it's so easy to to have like the color bleeding uh, through the uh, through the wood like yeah where you don't want it to bleed. And that's uh, one of the reasons that uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I stained the top before I machined the body. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at some point, and I don't remember when, I just decided to uh, do the, uh, the first initial color, like the strong coloring uh, before I machined the body. And that way, when the machine works, it cuts through and... Uh, and the, the paint won't creep uh, inside the cavities and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, still, it's not perfect because it's impossible. It's almost, I won't say impossible because I guess one day uh, it will be, <laughs> but it's, it's almost impossible to not have the paint bleeding into the cavities even after machining because wood is a natural resource and it has grain and it's... Uh, I said it's uh it, it, it absorbs in weird ways. Yeah, it sometimes. absorbs the the tinting. So you need to really um, know how much uh, to dilute the tint before uh, smearing it into the wood. Otherwise, if it's too um, thin, it will go really easily uh, where you don't want it to go. Yeah, um, I've seen you use unicorn spit before. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that brand. It was only one time, actually, and there's a funny story behind it. Uh, I used it on uh, a Venus that I built for myself and my son, and I let my five-year-old to decide the color, oh. and, and he wanted it pink. And I offered him a couple of shades or, I don't know, shades that I thought that I could do, and he told me, no, that's not it. <laughs> he was he was like the hardest customer ever and oh, yeah usually the customer goes yeah that's perfect that looks amazing and he goes no that's not a shade of things that i wanted and he's five years old yeah yeah find everyone um <laughs> then we went online google uh like pink shades and he found this uh a girl with a pink hair and he told me that's the one and he was like um <laughs> A glowing pink, very strong, and I said to Tali, my wife, who also works uh, in OD, um, "Father, I don't know how I'm going to pull that off. Maybe we should look like uh, look for another tint online." And then we found the uh, unicorn spit, and we ordered it, and it was uh, almost, almost 99% what he <laughs> what he wanted. Was he satisfied? Uh, yeah, he said. You know what? It's not 
exactly the color, but it's cool. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. You're giving yeah. me a hard time with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I, yeah. I have a six-year-old boy as well, so that's mm -hmm. awesome, man. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, that unicorn spit, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I was told that that was made by a woman or developed by a woman from my town here in Oklahoma. Yeah. Cool. I know it was developed by a woman, but uh, I didn't and know it, uh, where from. They're, like, they're almost like uh, scented. What? Like she, they add scent to it, so it smells good, I guess. Oh, yeah, I read something about it, and actually I forgot to check it. <laughs> yeah. We'll check it yeah. later. I, I tried using some of it, and it wasn't my favorite. I tend to like to dilute stuff in water mm -hmm. and, so I can blend it really well, you know? Right. Um, yeah, to so, be honest, it wasn't the greatest uh, tint. I mean, mine, the, the one I use regularly is uh, better or better than that. Because yeah. this one is a little bit thick. Um, um, when it's uh, really thin, it goes into the grain and create this uh, 3D effect. And with that, it was a little bit flat. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you stain, uh, uh, especially a figured piece of wood, you can stain mm -hmm. it and even sand it back. It, it'll right. really intensify the the figure. Yeah, with with the standard uh, staining like uh, Stumac uh, stuff and, and other brands, I usually tint about four to five times with sanding in between to get the the results. Oh, good. That makes me feel better about my process because yeah, I, yeah. I, I do a similar <laughs> thing. <laughs> and I'm always thinking like, am I doing this too many times? But it's like, I, I know. whatever whatever it takes to get the result, right? Yeah, because the, the wood uh, naturally absorbed the first layer and then you you send it back and, and then you do it again. And um, it gets uh, heavier like in tone because it keeps absorbing where the wood is soft and where the wood is hard, it gets a new layer and that's how you create this 3D effect. Um, I want to ask you about um, responsiveness in yeah. guitars. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was just speaking about this um, with uh, Scott Eve last week mm -hmm. um, and he's coming from like kind of more vintage style instruments. Yeah. Um, so you're you're making more modern like heavy metal guitars is responsiveness important to your customer base in, in that genre um before i can answer that um because i have an answer for that but it's um um only my observation you know i, I can't speak for all of them but for me, before the guitar is uh, out of my factory, I have to uh, make sure it's responsive because I, I've i been taught uh, luthery by an old guy who's uh, who built almost every uh, string instrument under the sun. <laughs> yeah. And he knows his way about woods and responsiveness and uh, how it vibrates, how it works. And he taught me not just how to build a guitar, but to understand um, all the components and how it works together and really in a microscopic level um, what 
what the, what is the effect when you send it this way or that way and when you cut a wood that way and clue it the other way so so it's there's a lot of physics there and i strongly believe in the the whole tone wood and um how things changes alters the sound when you use different glues or different woods or dry wood versus uh wet wood mm-hmm. so for me it's really important that the guitar would be responsive and resonance when i'm finishing it so so to put it that way i don't really care if the customer um care for it but i care for it so from me <laughs> you'll get a responsive guitar right and from there it's all about them and usually the metal community you know they play through uh um the metal community i was saying they usually um play through the digital stuff yes and a lot of things can alter the tone through there and when i play the guitar through my uh tube amp in my shop it can uh um, act in a certain way and then act in a different way which is also fine by the customer you know it all depends uh, on the settings he or she will put and uh, use eventually but for me it's really important to uh, put out a responsive instrument and I have a story about it I, I uh, built I avoided building uh, headless guitars because for a long time but now i do them um because i really didn't like the sound i really didn't like how uh the neck reacts the lack of a head is it's massive in tone in my big difference isn't it yeah and it all acts differently the the instrument is uh, a little bit uh, thinner and um i don't know how to describe it really accurately but um, I, I feel like the note um dies quicker yeah a little bit yeah a little bit less sustain and and i really hated it and i didn't like the look of headless guitars but eventually you know such and stuff like that i decided to take the challenge and make a headless that i will uh, uh be able to like <laughs> and, yeah so well, I found that when you're designing a headless guitar, mm-hmm. it screws everything up. Like right. the yeah. body shape, you know, it ends at the end of the bridge. Everything which, changes, yeah. And so visually, just visually, it, it completely alters everything. And yeah, not yeah. to mention the tone. Yeah, and, uh, then, and then you figure out that the audience that likes headless guitars are liking it for uh, certain reasons. Well, most of them... Not all of them, but most of them uh, usually play through digital media, um, like digital amps, yeah. and they really have the uh, comfortability and maneuverability, I should say, um, on the top of their lists, especially when they are flying overseas to perform. So they do have the advantages and they're willing to uh, um, to let go of some things in the instrument, which is fine. And that was the point where I decided to take the challenge and, and make a headless guitar. 
And nowadays, I still prefer a head guitar, a standard guitar, but I don't really hate the headless. <laughs> um, and I only uh, I started finding out that all all of the issues when I started building it with with the bridge on the on the bottom end of the guitar, which um, gives you a little bit more bass uh, response, I guess, because it's pretty similar to to bass. Uh, bass guitar where you put the bridge way back uh, you get a different tone and the lack of a head will give you a really different tone so so i was trying to maneuver between all of these components and it's a difficult <laughs> yeah and and the hardware is the is giving me hell <laughs> what, what are you using right now uh, I keep exploring some new stuff, but uh, right now I'm using either Tan Bridges from Turkey or ABM. Yeah, the Tan and, Bridges look pretty nice. I've been wanting to try those out. They are nice, and so far, I think, um, from what I've tried, they work really well and stable. The only thing I didn't like about it, and they, they've changed it now because I told them, I guess, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe others uh, have noticed it as well and told them. Um, the base of the bridges uh, was made from aluminum. And when I used it, suddenly the instrument was dead. Like the tone was thin, no sustain, everything was different from what I've uh, known so far. And I checked, I checked the bridges because uh, I knew they're aluminum and it might be a problem because it's, it conducts the sounds uh, um, differently than other uh, materials. And so it, it sort of dampened the sound when you plug it. And, and then was the moment I decided to do uh, um, new bases to those bridges out of uh, brass. Smart man. <laughs> and and I put the the piece of brass on the CNC and made uh, seven uh, seven new bases for those bridges. Installed them and I couldn't believe. I mean, I I thought that I would be uh, like, okay, so no much of a difference. I'm just uh, uh, it's just uh, you know. Uh, a belief I had and yeah. I wrong. And once I've installed it, I cannot explain in words how much difference it was. Worlds of difference. Yeah. It's like a whole new guitar. I mean it was so different. I immediately um wrote an email to Town Bridges and told them, listen, you cannot do it aluminium anymore. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and you you're not you're not trying to save any weight, you know what I mean? You're you're already yeah. so much lighter being a headless instrument. Right. Yeah. So much less material on it. And brass really is like the magic metal to mm -hmm. me when it comes to hardware. Right. I don't know if it's uh just the density of the metal, how heavy it is. I yeah, think it's that's probably the density. I think when when you deal with uh, lightweight uh, metal and vibration from the string uh, get lost inside of it yeah. and that's what dampens the sound and you need something really uh, heavy and dense to transfer all the energy through the body and through the strings 
um, and reflect them to the pickups as they should and not um, killing it before it gets even to the, the pickups and out. Yeah, yeah, you don't want it stealing your your, yeah. your vib- vibrations. The vibration transfer so is so important, mm-hmm. important to the process. Yeah, that's something I always try to explain to my audience is um, people thinks that electric guitar does not have to uh, um, have like got nothing to do with uh, with sound other than the pickups and. The pickups makes the sound, but what's transfer uh, into the pickups, that's what's matter. And that's the vibration from the strings. And if the whole uh, chassis or, or bass is wrong and not working properly, then you won't have the perfect vibration of, out of the strings. And then you'll get nothing out of the pickups. That's right. And that's why they call it pickups because it picks up the tone from the strings. <laughs> yeah. And if there's no vibration, no strings vibration, then then it's all for nothing. Then it doesn't matter if you put like the Rolls Royce of pickups there, and the the chassis would be, you know, like again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when I was first starting out and doing a lot of research on guitar building, I would come across these videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm of um of of guys standing in front of a whiteboard drawing diagrams yeah. explaining i think i know why... exactly what video you're talking about oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I- explaining why uh it's all the pickups and the guitar doesn't mm-hmm. matter yeah and, and then i thought well how come hollow body guitars sound so different yeah if it didn't matter then mm-hmm. every then every hollow body guitar would sound exactly like every solid body guitar right but there are worlds of difference. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I don't care how great your chart is there, mister. <laughs> but, uh, and you can explain away things all you want, but it's like when you're dealing with real world results, you you realize what's true and what's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, um, it's there's a lot of people who can who will hear the differences and those people who, who wouldn't and that's perfectly fine and most of the time the people who wouldn't hear the difference will try to prove you wrong <laughs> yeah and yeah in a vacuum um, space with uh, the perfect conditions and the perfect uh, wood and the same identical guitar you maybe would be able to do the experiment, but there is no such conditions, and it's impossible to do this. <laughs> yeah. I so I won't that. take any charts or explanations on YouTube for that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I think it was on. I forget. I think it was Linda Manzer, uh, mm-hmm. who's a a, a well known uh, acoustic. Yeah, I know her. She. I heard an interview where she said that she did some, or she was at a seminar and they were explaining uh, tone of the guitar through physics. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said that she was walking out with somebody and the person said, uh, uh, science explains what we know intuitively. Right. And and there's there's that aspect where it's like, it's like, is it true or is it not? 
and you can have theories and all these things, but it doesn't always apply. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, you very publicly use uh, a CNC. Uh, I do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you would agree that you can build a better and more accurate guitar for your customers with the CNC than without Mm -hmm. and and probably more affordable than otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a thing in the guitar building community where people try to poo poo the CNC or, or downplay it. Um, a, a, a smarter man than I once said that, uh, his uh, his customers want to imagine him making their guitars with a chisel by candlelight. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's a very romantic thing. Yeah, they want you to have an apron on and cabinet mm-hmm. scrapers and all this kind of thing. Um, but uh, do you find that the heavy metal community is a little more forgiving of that aspect? Um, they are forgiving in terms of. Uh... You can walk with whatever you want, man, but the, the problem usually is with the price. Because most people, um, especially nowadays, because you can buy like a, a custom guitar starting, um, I don't know, uh, $1,200 maybe. It's still Korean, but it's, it's a custom guitar. It's from a custom shop uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kiesel also produce in that range and that counts as custom. Um, and and the thing is, they usually and I see it a lot of uh, a lot in groups that the the debate about the CNC machine and the um, the price. And usually the price is calculated by only the materials, <laughs> uh. and they cannot uh, understand and why guitar costs more than the sum of their of it, of it materials if the machine does everything and everything, everything. <laughs> and it's like yeah that's that's the joke you know i press a button and boom there's a guitar yeah um, which is not the case it takes a no it, it it basically gets you slightly closer to your end goal of doing yeah. it by hand i mean i can tell you that when I started working with the CNC machine, when I started uh, programming the files for the guitars, mm-hmm. five years later, I'm still programming the files and changing them and make them better and uh, improving the design and the workflow. And it's like a never-ending uh, process. All and, the time. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the CNC does about... 20% of the work. Mm-hmm. And after that, I I can say even the accuracy of the CNC is not the issue here because you can fuck it really easy afterwards. You still have to send everything. You don't get a, a finished product that is smooth and ready for lacquer. And you still need to send everything. And, and there's a lot of work going on after the CNC is done. I mean, to, to machine a body on the CNC would take me, I can do two bodies on the CNC like in a, a work day. Uh, so it's about, yeah, 20, 15% even 
of the guitar build as well. Now, yeah. the important thing about CNC machine is if you, a luthier that started building guitars with a CNC, then you would have problems later on uh, understanding better how everything works and the grain and the direction uh, which you need to um, to process the wood and there's a lot of things that you have to know in advance. It's not only enough to know um, how to work on a CNC and programming. And I discovered that when when I started, my uh, my teacher, which uh, he learned the hard way because you know 50 years ago he didn't have a CNC, he didn't have nothing, and he had to uh, um, make up every tool he used, he, he, he used to build his own hardware. So, so he learned everything. And he told me, um, when, I, when I started doing guitars, he told me, first, you build guitar with your hands and with the simple tools. Then you understand how the guitar works. You build some more. And once you feel confident enough, you can let the machine do it. And uh, by the way, necks, I still shape necks by hand because for me it takes uh, about 20 minutes per neck and mm -hmm. for the machine it's about one hour and it's not finished. I have to uh, send it more later, of course. And I will eventually uh, let the machine do it for me because, you know, working in the background and stuff like that. But um, I find it the more sat satisfying uh, work uh, I'm doing at the moment is shaping the neck by hand and really feel uh, where it goes uh, once I'm doing it. But I agree with that. yeah, um, and, and I can control uh, you know the thickness and special requests by customers. And with the CNC machine, I will just have to uh, program about thousand different options and just not not the way to do it right now at the moment with the capacity yeah. uh, I'm trying to achieve. And going back to the, the CSC process, another ex good example, I used to do the fretboards um, radius by hand, and I wanted to build this you know swinging machine that goes over the, uh, um, the sander, the uh, electric sander, and, and lets you uh, send accurately the radius. And yeah, exactly. And and you build like a swinging arm that holds the fretboard, and then you swing from side to side, and will send the the fretboard really uh, uh, easily. And and I told my my teacher, I told him, let's build this machine. Why why are you doing it by hand and by feel? And he told me, I'm doing it for the past fifty years. So it takes me about five minutes to achieve what I need, and uh, I can do whatever radius I want. And he let me he, he let me check the radius with a gauge, and everything is perfect. <laughs> and he told me, "Look, learn it like that first, and then do the machining uh, with with a you know customized machine or whatever on the CNC." And and that's how I learned how to build. I I did everything by hand. And then only only when I felt comfortable and that I know what I'm doing, 
then I let the machine do it for me. And yeah, so the couple of first guitars was uh, hand built totally. I th I think that's a smart approach. Yeah, I, I started out um, when I was in high school. I went to a, a vocational program for machining, and it was all metal, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, lathes and mills and such. And, and yeah, it, wood really does act differently. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, metal has no grain. It doesn't right. matter which which end you're machining. Um, it, but to understand wood, uh, working with it um, manually, even if it's with a, um, a power even with the CNC, sander, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go even ahead. with even with the CNC, it's it's you still need to know how to cut on the CNC. Otherwise, you'll get all sorts of results that you don't want to to do uh, to have. Um, yeah, if you're profiling, uh, like say ebony fingerboards. Mm -hmm. And you've never worked with ebony before, but you're a, a great machinist. Uh, you could scrap boards all day long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, the the end grain, it's so splintery and uh, brittle compared to a lot of other woods even. Right. Uh, it can really screw with you. Yeah. So so it's not enough to, you know, click the button and <laughs> and have the machine work. You have to... You have a lot of knowledge behind it in order to do it, and and even if the CNC would uh, process eighty percent of the guitar, you still need a, a functional uh, playing instrument at the end, and the machine won't do it for you. And that's something people won't understand or don't understand, and thinks that you know it's so easy uh, to just uh, press a button and let the machine cut the wood. That's like a small portion of the work. Yeah, yeah, a tiny little portion. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to uh, commend you too. I I saw your 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 jig on your machine you had for for cutting um, your output jack. Oh yeah. And that was just brilliant. <laughs> That's something I just started doing uh, after my uh, side drill. Uh, the engine was burned. Someone used it. Used it. It was a minor thing, actually, and I used it to drill the uh, the input. And uh, you know what what I'm referring to, right? It's like a yes. side. Yeah, you move it sideways. The wheel press, but sideways. And and the guy burned the motor, and I didn't want to fix it, so I figured it's time for a new method there. So I just uh, checked my CNC see where how far it's uh, the gantry can go and then I realized that if I cut like 40 millimeters so maybe 50 from the table top like into the body of the machine I can place the uh, the body like um, perpendicular to the uh, to the flat board and then drill it from above I was so very impressed by that yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. Be. It was a great idea. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so tell me about um, your inlays. You you do a lot of cool inlays uh, yeah. for people, and, and it seems like you're doing custom stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, do your do your customers uh, ask for a custom inlay a lot? Yeah. Um, 
it started i think this year especially uh i think almost like 90 percent of the customers asked for custom inlays which was not the case the previous year it's just uh growing and growing uh with each year so yeah it's got to do with uh you know your portfolio maybe because once someone sees something you did then ideas uh coming into mind and and they ask for different stuff <laughs> that's great and, and i think it's it makes the guitar more unique to each customer yeah yeah definitely tell me about um pickups what, what are your favorite pickups these days uh i'm using uh strictly bare knuckle pickups and my favorite is the silo model. Um, yeah, if I would have to go with a different company, then probably Seymour Duncan would be the second choice. What is it about the, the Cylon pickups that you like so much? Um, very versatile. And for me, I'm a guy who likes to play really clean um opeth uh, style like chords open chords and and give it hard <laughs> when it comes to distortion like really uh the gent uh, progressive uh new age stuff so i need like a really strong distortion and a really warm and uh, sweet sound with the cleans which normally usually they don't work together too well, most pickups. That's what I find anyways. And with the silo, I think uh, the guys really uh, nailed it. I mean, it's a signature. Versatility. Yeah, it's, it's a signature pickup. And I don't really care about uh, signatures usually, but uh, Rabia, who is the guy who designed it with uh, Tim from Vernacle, they really did a good job on that. So, yeah, that's my favorite uh, so far. Um, I saw recently, did you build a guitar for the owner of Bare Knuckle? Uh, yeah, two actually. <laughs> oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah, he ordered one. And and then I think six months later, maybe something like so, he ordered the second one and, and he wound the pickups, of course, himself. And... <laughs> And delivered it, and uh, it was great. Yeah, great experience. I mean, it was really owner, 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 <laughs> um, language. Um, yeah, it was really an honor, a big honor for me to build two guitars. Yeah, so, uh, repeat customers are always a, a, a big flattery. Yeah, and, and having it be someone who. I'm sure has seen every custom guitar under the sun owning a custom pickup company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so th that's, that's very flattering and, uh, and very, and that's, yeah. that's a really cool honor. Yeah, totally. Well, I gotta say, this has been a great conversation, Omer. Same here, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for, uh, inviting me. Absolutely. So, um, if someone wants to build a custom guitar, or have you build them a custom guitar, um, 
how should they get a hold of you? Um, all over the place. I mean, <laughs> usually they contact me through Instagram first, and then I refer them uh, uh, to my website, which is uh, od-guitars.com. And then they can fill out a form with all the specs available, uh, choosing the different options there. I got all the explanations and uh, notes about what kind of woods and uh, the different style of chambering I can do, and inlay, custom inlays and stuff like that. And then once they uh, see the price on the bottom, they can submit the form, get to me, and then we start the journey of uh, 100 emails before even all the bills. <laughs> <laughs> One of my my least favorite things is yeah. going through emails, an yeah. email chain, and, and and trying to decipher what what did they say they want on that one thing. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel about it, and it's even harder when um, you have like uh, seventy or hundred uh, emails, like huge thread of emails with one person, and then thinks about something he saw uh, you posted on Instagram and then he approaches on Instagram and tells you, let's change the uh, headstock from that to that and the color and the uh, um, scale length. And then, and then you have to say, please man, write it in an email. Otherwise, I won't be able to find it later. And <laughs> we, I got to keep track of everything that goes on. Otherwise, that that's the part that scares the shit out of me that, you know, I work with uh, a spreadsheet and I write everything there. I mean, my wife does that now and she does an excellent work here at the shop where she organized everything with spreadsheets and and it's a total uh, game changer. Um, and, and and I it scares me that you know you you build something and then suddenly you go oh shit you want a six string instead of a seven string <laughs> something ridiculous like that <laughs> yeah I, I started uh, I started getting Google Docs and mm-hmm. uh, and sharing them with the customer right so that everything is there and if there's a change I I, I mark the change and date it right and, and if and if they want to add comments to it they can do that. But at least there I can check the Google Doc and I don't have to go through the damn emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good system. Uh, so... I, I have one final question uh, yeah. that I forgot to ask you about, and that's uh, chambering. Yeah. And I, lately I have come to the, I don't know if it's a realization or a, or a theory, that chambering does affect the responsiveness of, it does. of the guitar. Definitely. And, and in, in what way do you find that it affects it and, and how do you utilize it to your advantage? Yeah. Um, so my chambering, uh, it's not a typical chambering that goes under the top, like into the body. It goes uh, like straight down the, the natural geometric uh, uh, shapes. go straight down and do not go like, like channeling through the body from the inside. So um, it acts a little bit different. It does not vibrate like uh, a chambered guitar, which acts like a speaker, so to speak. And it's just, um, when I started doing it, 
I, I've altered and changed uh, natural geometrics pattern all the time and exploded like uh, different size, different portions. And I've noticed it's really emphasized the, the base side of the instrument. And if I do it like on the, on the upper uh, part of the body where the long horn is, um, then it affects the base side. And if I do it on the bottom, it will affect the base of the, of the thinnest uh, string. So, so everything uh, makes a slight of a difference and, and, and really has a feeling more because you know, as we spoke earlier, it's just a feeling. And yeah. I can feel the, the, the body of the guitar vibrates differently on on my body when i play so even when you do not uh, plug it in the the amp uh everything is a little bit louder and a little bit more crisp and and especially with metal guitars it is not a common thing to do so but uh when you do the chambering really subtle then that's where the uh, it comes into play with the, the metal um, sound. It doesn't interfere the, the distortion part of the guitar. It's, I don't know how to, uh, it's emphasizing it. Yeah, you don't want too much of it right? metal, I would think, because you want that, uh, that super quick response. Right, yeah. Thing, things could get too soggy uh, for, yeah. for a metal musician, I think. Yeah, so when you do, like, we all know when, when you plug uh, uh, an acoustic guitar or not an acoustic, like a, a hollow body guitar to an amp and play with a distortion, then you'll get feedbacks and everything starts to uh, um, get into natural overdrive and not the, the good kind. <laughs> so when you do the chambering really subtle and really small and not let the top vibrate like a speaker, that's where it gets interested, uh, interesting. Uh, that's where the, the sound will um, will change and, and be louder, but won't create any feedbacks or, or interfere with the distortion side of things. That's a great point. Well, thank you so much for answering that, and, and thank you so much for for doing the podcast. I sure appreciate sure, it, man. Thank you.